Now, it's the rest stop with Brad Restituto. Seven years. Handoff. Damian Williams trying to get to the edge. Breaks the tackle. 35, 30. Damian Williams, 20. Stays in bounds. 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, Kansas City. And the snap goes high over the head of Big Ben. All the way back to the 2, to the 1. And the Browns have it in the end zone. And they dive on the ball and recover it for a touchdown. Carl Joseph's got it in the end zone. A touchdown. Derek looks left. Derek going to throw for the end zone. Caught. It is caught. Welcome to the rest stop. It's June 8th, 2021. Brad Restituto, your host, back at you after a week off Tuesday and Thursday, 9 to 10 o'clock Pacific time. And uh, we broadcast the podcast live from Las Vegas. Spencer the Wiz, jump in. I saw you cheering right before we went live. Uh, a big series here in Las Vegas, the first ever, ever professional sports franchise in Las Vegas, organic grown, the Vegas Gold Knights in game five of, I believe, the semifinals of the conference championship in the West. Is that right, Spence? Yeah, it's all confusing because the divisions are all different now. So uh, no one really knows. But uh, yeah, so there's one more round and then the Stanley Cup. So you're right. But it's again, the conferences are all weird. So I think the Golden Knights are slated to play Boston if they do win the series, which obviously so the, conference, the conference semifinals, the two top teams in the West, Colorado, VGK, Colorado, uh, has the home ice advantage, got off to a 2-0 series lead. VGK stormed back in the two games at T-Mobile Arena. Even the series of two going back to Colorado, this pivotal game five just went final as we went live on the air, and it was the Vegas Golden Knights in overtime. Mark Stone with the game-winning goal. Spencer the Wiz cheering in the background as VGK takes commanding 3-2 to two lead in the series. An enormous win in the NHL for the Vegas Golden Knights and, and probably going to be the toughest series. It's easy to say that they went seven against Minnesota in round one. But on paper, their toughest opponent, the Colorado Avalanche, they get one, the first road team to win on the other team's ice. VGK, the Golden Knights, do it tonight, beating Colorado in overtime. Spencer the Wiz was going nuts before we came on. Talk about yeah. what you saw, Spence. Did you see the game winner? Uh, I know Mark Stone got the victory with the game winner for the Golden Knights in OT. Yeah, I was watching it on my uh, phone. The Golden Knights had gotten a steal. I don't know who passed it to him off the top of my head, but – he uh, kind of went off to the left by himself and shot it in the top right, uh, which is huge because Mark Stone has been pretty invisible for this entire playoffs, and he's the best player on the team, at least on paper, and you would think he is, uh, but he hasn't been all that productive. But the thing for the Golden Knights has been, I mean, the big difference is the second line, which was the original first line, which is Jonathan Marshall, Carlson, and the other crew that was with them. They call it the misfit line, I believe, because it's like, Every, basically, everyone didn't want them on their teams, yada, 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 uh, through the expansion draft. But for the, you know, whatever reason, what, they can call whatever they want. They weren't getting it done for a very long time. They were just kind of falling apart. And when they play like this, I think Jonathan Marceau had a hat trick in game four, scored again today. When they play like that, they're unstoppable. I mean, as simple as that. The first line is just that good. There's so much talent for Trangelo, Mark Stone. Like, that first line is going to do what it does all the time. Like, all hockey, you know, when you go to the first lines of the best hockey teams, they're just productive. The way you win playoff games and go to the Stanley Cup, from what I've observed, is everybody else who commands ice. And 
again, uh, those guys are used to playing, you know, on the first line. They did for a very long time for this team, and they were the line that brought them to the Stanley Cup. So when you combine those two ideas together, if they're just as productive as they were in the first year, then you have two first lines going out there, and no other team in hockey has that kind of production on the team. It's just impossible. And you could say the Golden Knights, you know, got lucky to a certain extent, but they did their homework. They got these guys who seemed to just really fit well together. Marshall Show in particular, Ben, is just on a tear right now. And the thing is, they've been doing this all without Mark Stone and Petrangelo. Uh, Petrangelo made a couple of insane defensive plays in this game. Uh, he hasn't like gotten on the scoring kind of title or whatever, assist. But that doesn't really matter so much in hockey. I think there's an overemphasis on that. It's about how productive you are on the ice. And he was certainly productive. So... And that's the thing. You have Shea Theodore, too, one of the best offensive defensemen in the entire hockey league. So when you combine all those together, maybe not individually it's overpowering, but when all of them are clicking, this is what you're going to get. And there, there's a whole like lineage of thoughts I have on the Golden Knights where the first year, you know, it's just something in the air and they end up making it happen. The second year, they kind of feel sorry for themselves and obviously it just kind of falls apart. Then the third year, they kind of get overtaken where like the shine has kind of taken off. But when you go into this season and you look at their roster, they're the, they have the, the best team, essentially. And that that's because they were title favorites. Like, it's pretty, you know, the odds kind of said, yes, they are the best team. But they didn't have that kind of pizzazz from the first season. I don't know, really know what would the hang-up was. Maybe it's because, I, again, I, I actually, I don't really have an answer. But now that they kind of step up and, like, they've had a leader now, Mark Stone's the first captain of the team, I think they kind of have something to rally behind. And to win game three games in a row behind Mark Stone, that has to give them so much confidence moving forward. This feels like a Stanley Cup preview because both these teams were, I think, one and two to win the Stanley Cup going into the playoffs. So in theory, it gets easier from here, but that's you know obviously not so true and easier said than done. And this series isn't over yet, but going back into Vegas, seeing what it is at full capacity, deafening loud. It's really exciting. I mean, I... I enjoy watching them play a whole lot. I mean, I'm not an expert on the team, but from what I've seen, it looks like they're finally having fun playing hockey. It was so technical before. It's like, we got to pass here. we got to do this. But now it's more like, hey, let's just be really good and just start beating teams. It's, it's an oversimplification of the matter, but I actually do think that that kind of attitude is kind of a part of the team right now. Well, if anyone from Vegas is just jumping in, the Golden Knights, as you probably already know, they won in overtime, taking a commanding 3-2 to two series lead in the second round of the Western NHL playoffs. Uh, VGK gets the win on the, the home ice of the Colorado Avalanche. Avalanche were one of the best teams in the league uh, this season. VGK now leads the series three games to do. Alex Tuck gets a goal tonight. Jonathan Marcheseau, and then in overtime, Mark Stone gets the game winner and Marc-Andre Fleury had 28 saves in victory in the net tonight for the Golden Knights. And in Game 1, the Avalanche took it 7-1 to in Colorado. They took Game 2 in overtime, 3-2. to Another overtime game tonight. Game 3, VGK won 3-2. to Seems to be one of the themes of the series. Commanding win in Game 4 for VGK, 5-1. to And then tonight, on the road, they get the 3-2 to victory in overtime. The only other NHL playoff game tonight came from the Eastern Conference. The Tampa Bay Lightning shut the door on the Carolina Hurricanes on their home ice, and they won the game 2 to nothing, and they win the series four games to one. So some fantastic NHL action tonight, especially if you're a Vegas Golden Knights fan and just a Vegas resident. You've got to feel pretty fired up uh, as the, the Vegas Golden Knights are going to be battle-tested if they get through this series one game away from moving on 
uh, to the conference final. And Spence the Wiz mentioned that could possibly be against Boston. Uh, they're one game away, one game away from getting there. Uh, BGK has been to the Stanley Cup before. They were defeated by uh, the Washington Capitals in the inaugural season. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Spence, but I believe the inaugural season of BGK, they got to the Stanley Cup finals and they dropped it to the Washington Capitals and Alexander Ovechkin. But uh, fantastic game tonight in overtime. VGK fans in Vegas is on fire uh, about that win. Spence was fired up right before we went on air. So that's good news here locally in Las Vegas. And, of course, the NBA playoffs in full effect. Uh, we've got so many games uh, that we didn't get a chance to review last week, some games over the weekend we certainly, certainly will get to. And tonight's action uh, is on fire in this second game. Uh, the Western Conference, second round, the Clippers – in Utah, taking on the Jazz. Clippers had a commanding halftime lead. I believe they were up 58 to 47. And the Jazz have outscored the Clippers 28 to 13 in the third quarter. We know that they can score in bunches. And right now, the score sits with about a minute and 20 left in the third quarter. The Jazz 75 74. So it should be a fantastic fourth quarter in this matchup. The Jazz are without Mike Conley, the point guard for Utah tonight. And the game earlier tonight saw. The Philadelphia 76ers, the number one overall seed in the Eastern Conference, even the series with the Atlanta Hawks, one game one game apiece, and Joel Embiid, another fantastic night. This guy's playing with a partially torn meniscus in his knee. He's got 40 tonight with 13 boards. He had 39 and a loss in game one. Uh, also, Tobias Harris was fantastic for Philadelphia, and with that raucous home crowd in Philadelphia, they get the win tonight, and they close the door in the fourth period, outscoring the Hawks 27-18, and they win 118-102. I think that game may have barely went under the total. I think it was at 221, and we'll see what the over-under looks like here in this Jazz game. I saw 220, 220 and a half, so that's going to be on pace to be very close, as with about a minute 20 left, the Clippers have, have taken the lead back 76-75. So, Spence, I, I want to start uh, from from over the weekend here with uh, let, let, let's go with Saturday's action in the NBA. And that was game one of the Eastern Conference semifinals. The Nets, they they took game one in convincing fashion, 115-107. Me and you talked about it briefly on, on one of your podcasts that over the weekend we talked about how Milwaukee was so fantastic in the paint, but they only were like six of 30 from three-point range, and that's not going to get it done. Uh, so game one, they got hammered. And then we talked about the Sixers evening this series where Trey Young went off in game one to give the Hawks the win against Philadelphia, 128-124. And then also on Sunday, the Clippers, they shut the door in game seven on the Mavericks, 126-111. So we move on to Monday night, Spence, and the Nets did what they did in game one, but times five. They absolutely waxed the floor with the Milwaukee Bucks, 125-86. KD had 32 points, and I, I posted on Twitter, I, I doubt, in my opinion, my expert opinion, in quotes, that the Milwaukee Bucks win a game in the series. They're just not talented enough, and I don't know what the hell they're doing. They're getting out-hustled on the 50-50 balls. They can't consistently make free throws. Chris Middleton has spurts, but he's, for the most part, been terrible in this series. And Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, it doesn't look like they're going to give you a stinker, a game where they just come out and can't make shots. These guys are elite shot makers, and the Milwaukee Bucks just can't match it consistently. And on top of that, getting outplayed and out-hustled by Blake Griffith, and you've got guys like, like Joe Harris, like Landry Shamit, other guys contributing and being big factors. I don't see any way Milwaukee finds a way. Their confidence is already completely taken 
as the Nets have destroyed them without James Harden in two games. So, Spence, I mean, I think Milwaukee's absolutely cooked. I called it in the first round with with the Lakers. They were cooked. They ended up getting cooked by the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns added on to that with a humongous second half yesterday at home, beating the Nuggets, taking that Western final, uh, Western semifinal, taking game one. They lead the series one game to nothing. They were led by Chris Paul. Great effort in the second half. And, of course, Devin Booker, fantastic. The Suns, 122-105, outlast the Nuggets last night in their game one. Let's start off with the Brooklyn Nets-Milwaukee Bucks series, Spence. Before we get to Milwaukee, I know I've been, I've been critical at times on KD and Kyrie Irving because sometimes I feel like their mind might not match what it needs to be being a basketball player and having an obligation and responsibility to your teammates, to your organization, to the fan base, to yourself, and not meeting those expectations. I've been critical at times, but – since these playoffs have start, Spence, I've heard nothing about anything but basketball, and they've came in focused and they've absolutely, absolutely put their foot down thus far through, let's see, we're through seven games they've played in the playoffs. They've only lost one, and they're really handling Milwaukee pretty easily. Kevin Durant, post-game, got a little upset at one of the questions by Jared Greenberg for NBA TV and TNT, asked him if he expected to come back uh, this good after a torn Achilles. He asked what kind of question was that. Spence, I thought the question was a fine question. There's guys, NBA All-Stars, that careers were cut short because of Achilles injuries. I know we're at a different day and time medically, but I don't think that's a far-off question. I mean, for him to come back uh, less than two and a half years and play just seems to be at the same level he played before, which is one of the best scorers and, and one of the best players in the entire world, it, it's nothing short of remarkable. Uh, I, I know KD probably expected that out of himself, but it has ended people's careers, ended them short. It's not like Kevin Durant's 25. I think he's in his 30s, Spence, his early 30s. So it's not a, a too far of a reach to not expect this guy because of that injury to get back to the same exact player he was before. So far, he looks that way. He's not completely out of the water. They're not raising the Larry O'Brien trophy yet in Brooklyn, but they certainly look to be the favorite as they are the betting favorite in Las Vegas. I give KD... Kevin Durant, Steve Nash, all of the players, coaches, and organization in the Brooklyn Nets, tons of credit through two games. Two games doesn't win you nothing in this series, but they certainly look to be the front runner in the Eastern Conference and just two of the most dynamic players we've ever seen offensively. So much talent. They look great in Brooklyn. The, the, the Milwaukee Bucks look all but dead to me. Yeah, uh, so I'll show a highlight here of Kevin Durant while we're speaking about him. This guy is just on it. He just looks insane. I mean, it's it's uh, easy easy to forget how good he was in OKC. I know. It can, but this to Milwaukee just is brutal performance. There's Durant to the rim and hits the reverse and ends up on the floor right by the statue. There, there's a lot to talk about with this series, I think, and, and you touched on a lot of it, but... Spence, these guys just make it look so easy sometimes, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And when I watch Milwaukee, Spencer the Wiz, the Milwaukee Bucks, it seems so strenuous for them to score. Unless Giannis is putting his head down and really getting the basket, which he can do easily, it looks so hard for Chris Middleton to score, for Drew Holiday. It's like so effortful. They can't get the ball in the basket. These guys for Brooklyn make it look so easy. To me, the best player for the Milwaukee Bucks to this point has been Brooke Lopez. That's not going to get it done against these guys. 
KD, Kyrie make it look so effortless. When they move the basketball like they did yesterday, getting Brown involved, getting Joe Harris easy shots, Landry Shamit, Blake Griffin. I mean, they look unbeatable. When they share the basketball and they look like a team, that's how basketball is supposed to be played. And when you have guys that talented playing basketball that way, it's a recipe for success. Yeah, it, the thing is, is Boston played a lot harder than Milwaukee is in the series, and Boston had nothing to play for. And there are times it looked like Boston gave up, but clearly, even with all of that, they're still playing harder than Milwaukee is. So from a fundamental level, Milwaukee is not approaching this series the way that they should. They, you know, play themselves up. They say, oh, we stood the Miami Heat. We don't want to play with our food. Where is that attitude where you, you like you want it? When I look at this game, and this is, seems to be the game plan, it's very bizarre. They're starting Blake Griffin at the five. So Giannis is being guarded by Blake, Blake, ugh, Blake Griffin full time. So what happens when they go to him in the post? He scores like almost every time. He shot six of 13 in the first half. But that's not going to get it done. He needs to be shooting 20 times per half. They don't have like the five scoring options. I know Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton are fine, but I think – that the, that's how they kind of did it in the regular season where you take some of the load off of Giannis Dentacumpo, and that's fine for most matchups. But if they're going to give you an egregious matchup like Giannis Dentacumpo in Griffin, and they're not going to, and they're not clearly not even double teaming in the post either. They didn't once in that entire game. So their philosophy is Milwaukee's not going to do this enough times for it to make a difference. So what are we going to do? We'll guard everything else and have a hard time. Chris Middleton's going to have a hard time. Drew Holiday's going to have a hard time. And also, I mean, there's also just very like small things. There was a play where Drew Holiday dribbled it up the right side of the court. He goes down and posts up on Nicholas Claxton on the baseline. First of all, baseline jumpers are pretty difficult to hit. And surely fadeaways, like that can't be a part of the game plan. So either they're not executing or there's not a good enough game plan in place. And when James Harden goes down, I mean, I feel like probably the Boston Celtics could have taken two of those games. Now, I know the first game they won was in Boston, so you can say maybe Milwaukee would do the same thing. But it starts and ends with Giannis. Look, he's had a pretty decent series. He was really good in game one, you could say, outside of the free throws, which, I mean, at some point you're just going to have to get your free throws because they're free. And you can't just have, like, one-point possessions when you get fouled. It's just a waste. So maybe in game two he was so scared about that he didn't shoot as much. But that's just, like, that mentality is not – forget this round. You're not going to win a championship that way. You can say the same thing about the 76ers, too, in the way that they entered their series. But after this game, it's not encouraging to see them. I mean, they might seriously be cooked, which is disappointing because on paper, they have the best matchup against them in the entire league. I feel like once this series is over, more, uh, the uh, the Nets may just walk through and not have that much competition. I know the 76ers look great. I don't think they have the mentality to do it, but you hope it changes because I would rather see an interesting series than an uninteresting one. But I think as long as Giannis just doesn't look engaged and his teammates feed off of that, it's not like their other players are real vocal leaders. It shouldn't be Drew Holiday, but you're not going to rally behind him at this point in his career. Giannis is 26 years old. When he takes a hard foul, you want to see him get up and like get in the guy's face or be a little upset or have his teammates hold him back. But he just looks there kind of, I don't know, content. And it's playoff basketball. you got to bring up your intensity. Kevin Durant is certainly – and without that, the Bucks are nothing. Yeah, I, I don't know where I lie on Giannis's intensity. Uh, what I do know is the Bucks only went to the free throw line nine times yesterday, and they only made four. They were eight of 27 from three, so barely as good 
are as bad as they were in game one. Uh, Mike James is coming off the bench in game one with 12 points and, and with 10 yesterday, a plus 30 plus minus. And look, Spence, I've watched Mike James for about five or six years since he was in the summer league here in Vegas for a few years. And I watched him and said, this guy should be on a roster. And he briefly was for Phoenix. But other than that, he's been playing overseas. He's playing outstanding and really can't be stopped when he decides to, to shoot the basketball. I mean, he was only four of 12 yesterday, but two of four for three. Um, the guy is an energizer. He's a really good player. Um, you're getting cut. Steve Nash is pressing all the right buttons, Spence. And the Milwaukee Bucks are in deep, deep trouble. I don't know how they win a game in this series because their best defender has been P.J. Tucker on Kevin Durant. And the refs just aren't letting them play enough, and he gets in foul trouble pretty quick. Um, he does a decent job because of that blowout yesterday. He only played 22 minutes, uh, but his plus-minus was only minus nine. Everybody else's was off the charts uh, as far as negative for the starting lineup. And there's just not a lot to say. Giannis can't make free throws. Spence two of seven yesterday. He only took three threes, but he was 0 for 3. And every time he takes a three that I watch Spence and it bricks off, the Nets get the rebound because that's probably their best rebounder is Giannis aside from Brooke Lopez. But the Nets will rebound that basketball off a of Giannis three, push it up the court, and it's an easy bucket. It's like you're giving away two or three points on the other side every time Giannis pulls up for three. And in this series, he just should know, Spence, it's not working for him, and he – he should limit it to maybe one three a game and make sure the timing of doing it is not one where you're losing uh, because it just gives more momentum to Brooklyn. I just think all of the right buttons being pressed by Brooklyn, all of the wrong ones for Milwaukee. Yeah, and this is what they should do in my opinion. And I can't believe they did at least come out in the second half being blown out with it. You got to sit Brook Lopez. You can't put him in the starting lineup. Match Claxton with Lopez. That should be the key in this series. This is going to sound crazy, but, I mean, it's really not. Giannis should be playing the center. Like, he should start and playing center. That way it gets him a little faster. Maybe move Pat Connaughton into the starting lineup. Something just to change things up. They seem so, like, I don't know. It's just like, all right, let's just go out there and we'll see what happens. Like, that. that's not the way that you should approach playoff games. You should be willing to try something really wacky. It's a chess game. And Giannis may really excel at that point because, I mean, Blake Griffin's playing the five, so it's essentially like he is too. But when you have Rick Lopez, who is playing well, he's better coming off the bench. The other like real key to the series, it is those kind of glue guys for the Brooklyn Nets. And Bruce Brown and Mike James, and they even lost Jeff Green, and they're still playing this way. Those yeah. guys just want it more than the Milwaukee Bucks, and that's just not acceptable. Like You can say all the X's and O's like part of it, but when those two like, tiny guys are getting offensive rebounds, like Brooke Lopez and Giannis, I remember one play in particular where Bruce Brown like went in between them, two giants, and a tiny little dude got an offensive rebound. That's a mental error. That's an effort thing. Like Those are very well coordinated. It has nothing to do with the skill of the game. Spence, let's move on to the game one of the other – on the other side, the Western Conference between the Denver Nuggets and Phoenix Suns. At home, Phoenix took the win, 122-105. They outscored Denver 65-47 to in the second half. Uh, let's talk about, I mean, look at the starting lineup statistics for the Suns. Bridges had 23, Aiton had 20, Paul and Booker both had 21. Uh, 11 assists for Chris Paul, 8 assists for Devin Booker. Fantastic job by the starters last night in Phoenix. And Chris Paul was great late. 
He was three of three from the free throw line in the game, two of three from three. Devin Booker only one of four from three, but a fantastic seven second half. And the Phoenix Suns get the win over the Denver Nuggets. And it was announced today, Nikola Jokic, MVP of the league for the Denver Nuggets. A lot of people thought Chris Paul should have been in that discussion. The guy's playing hurt, and he had a fantastic game in 36 minutes last night, Spence. The Phoenix Suns, we're ta- we've talked about them quite a bit because after that bubble, I was a believer when they went 8-0, even more a believer when they signed Chris Paul, and he's been the leader of this team, really bringing along the young guys and performing himself. How do you think this series shapes up moving forward? A really nice win for Phoenix last night. Yeah, this game was, uh, to me, the biggest kind of point of contention besides the actual game was the fans. I feel like they made a really big difference because the Nuggets controlled, uh, you know, the pace of the play. They looked like they were in control. I think they were up by nine with uh, not that long left to go in the third quarter. I was switching in between a baseball game and this game when I was watching it. And I thought, oh, wow, you know, the Nuggets will go uh, into the fourth quarter of the lead. That's pretty nice. And uh, no, that was not the case, man. They like, I mean, everyone got really into it. It was like booming. Some sometimes announcers will try to sell the idea that the crowd's really into it. Like in the Utah game, I, I kind of heard that, like, oh wow, it's so buzzing in here. It really wasn't that loud, but you can kind of sense it. Like, you don't really need someone to tell you, you know, when the crowd is loud, and it kind of like puts it. It manifests itself onto the court in the play, and the Phoenix Suns were feeding off of that so much, and they ended up taking like a seven-point lead in the third, and that just kind of ballooned into the fourth quarter. So it's kind of nice. I mean, it's easy to forget how fun sports can be and how exciting it can be. Some of it's been muddled because of the craziness of the fans, you know, like throwing bottles and stuff. But once you get past all the garbage and like kind of the initial overreaction to all that and the trends, like you get to remember like, oh, this is actually a really great game and people really enjoy it. And it's really fun to watch on TV. A lot more fun than watching a squeaking basketball shoes. Spence, the other game in the Western semifinals is game game one tonight between the Jazz and the Clippers, and we're at a timeout with L.A. That game's on TNT right now. The Jazz have went up 91-85 with about nine minutes in the fourth, so this should be a good one coming down the stretch. We'll see how Kawhi and Paul George respond. Donovan Mitchell already has got 30, 35 points. I don't know. I haven't watched it uh, possession by possession, but I would hope Kawhi Leonard is guarding Donovan Mitchell, but he's going off tonight. And especially in the second half of that one. So we'll follow that as we uh, go in till 10 o'clock Pacific time tonight. The rest stop Tuesday and Thursday, 9 to 10 o'clock on the Pacific time. We're here in Las Vegas. If you miss any part of the show live, check out the podcast audio version on Landry Football Conference Call on any of your podcasting platforms. The rest stop will be underneath there. Give a like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. That's at Brad the Believer. We post the podcast on that channel. We'll have some new content at some point in this year and and have some good stuff, hopefully. uh, And we'll transition into more stuff we'll get into and talking about as the playoffs wind down here in the NBA. Spence, let's talk about game two tonight. The first game on TNT, the Sixers, they get the win and they split the home series through two games in this Eastern semifinals, beating the Hawks 118-102. Talk about what Joel Embiid's doing through a partially torn meniscus. This is incredible, Spence. The guy is playing through injury. This injury could get worse. He only went for 39 in game one and 40 tonight. Big effort uh, by the Sixers tonight and big win as they got off to a huge lead in the beginning. The the, uh, Hawks cut it to within one possession at the end of the first half. And then uh, a really nice second half for Philadelphia, outscoring Atlanta 61 to uh, 47 in the second half, and they win the game 118-102. Talk about Joel Embiid. Talk about the Sixers 
only because they won tonight and they really had to have this one. They couldn't afford to go down two to nothing, losing both games on their home floor with Joel Embiid's status really being up in the air from game to game. But the guys performed up to this point, a really fantastic performance from him. Nice job by Tobias Harris tonight, went 11 and 19 from the field, 22 points, only shot one three. Uh, Spence, this is a guy we talked about Dallas the other day, a guy Dallas should have never let go. Seth Curry goes for 21 tonight, five and six from three. This guy could be the guy that wins the series and a guy that we're talking about that if the Sixers didn't have him, they wouldn't have advanced a really huge, important shooter. They got to have this guy because Atlanta can fill up the basket with their scores. Seth Curry, big game tonight, eight to 13, five to six from three, 21 points, two assists. Uh, talk about Embiid, talk about the Sixers and really what was a must win in game two tonight, Spence, the number one overall seed. Yeah, and here's one highlight from the night, and that was Joel Embiid's 40th point, which is a playoff career high for him. A nice little turnaround. I, I have one comment, but we'll play the highlight first. Embiid got a chance to go for 40, and there it is. A 40-piece for Joel Embiid, and given 12 rebounds as well. Look, I, I think it's great that he scored 40, and that's always something that, you know, you kind of want to see out of your players. It's very exciting, but... If you notice that score with two minutes left, Joel Embiid should not be in that game. It's exciting, and you want to be able to get those kind of accolades. But come on, this guy's playing with a partially torn meniscus. And I would imagine being on the court is not a good thing. I think – I was thinking about this before the show. I think Derrick Rose tore his first – the first time he tore his ACLs, it was in garbage time in the playoffs. Doesn't that seem a lot, like, really familiar? And I don't even think Derrick Rose, like, was, like, on the injury kind of radar where they thought it might happen. There's no reason for him to have been playing. It doesn't matter when you win game one. You don't. It doesn't count as two if you win by 20 or more. Just ask the Brooklyn Nets. Like they need to be thinking about the future. Look how the Lakers situation pulled out. The Lakers may have been on the wrong foot by playing him in the playing game against the Warriors. Anthony Davis probably wasn't ready to play by then, and clearly it hurt them come playoff time. And now here they are in the playoffs, risking Joel Embiid for absolutely no reason. It doesn't make sense to me. And I also just didn't like their attitude in the game one. They had like 11 turnovers in the first quarter. They just were like, all right, well, just whatever. I mean, it's the Hawks. The Hawks are very talented. Now, you know, the Philadelphia has obviously won five of the last six quarters. So that's a pretty good trend for them. But they're trying to they're, they're trying to win a title. And I'm just not sure if their head's in the right place right now. That's the only kind of gripe I have against the 76ers at the moment. Spence, that's a good gripe to have. I mean, they had the game in hand. It seemed like at that point, no reason to risk injury with your franchise player, Joel Embiid. Uh, the guy was second in the MVP voting that came out today. The victory um, the victory of MVP goes to Nikola Jokic. But uh, if, if Embiid played a full season, there's definitely an argument that he could have been the guy. Tom Thibodeau. Yeah, Tom Thibodeau won Coach of the Year, I believe, with the AP. Monty Williams amongst the coaches. So uh, that was kind of split. We talked about on this show, Spence, both of those guys very well deserving. Uh, one of them still playing, and that's Monty Williams and the Phoenix Suns. But I agree with you with Embiid. You've really got to tread lightly here. This is your future, Spence. I know that they feel like as the number one overall seed, this could be their window to reach the finals. And Joel Embiid, as a player, as a competitor, and the Sixers, as a franchise looking to get to the finals, 
they want to put all their chips in the middle of the table. And of course they want to do it cautiously. This guy clearly is performing on the court, but you've got to really proceed with caution because it's very dangerous. You would hate, you would hate as a Sixers fan and as an organization with the Philadelphia 76ers to see this guy go down in a playoff game because it's partially torn meniscus. Uh, we've seen it with Kevin Durant. We saw Kevin Durant go down uh, trying to come back from an injury. I believe it was, uh, deep in the playoffs with the Warriors, I would hate to see something similar with Joel Embiid. So what do you do, Spence? How do you manage this? It certainly is not, like you mentioned, not a smart idea to play this guy when you have the guy game wrapped up. Get him whatever treatment you can. Uh, I don't know how these partially torn things can can heal in that short a period of time. I'd have to really do some research. I do know it could get worse. It's very scary. I, I can't speak for the meniscus, but I know uh, I had uh, like – a partial stress fracture in, in my foot a few months ago, and, and it was manageable. I could play on it, and I kept playing on it, and then I made one wrong cut, and that was it. The stress fracture went from a full-on fracture, and I was out multiple months playing. So I know it's got to be similar. We're talking about the lower body. Uh, that's why Embiid's got to be very careful. He, he's got to understand his movements, his, his limitations, uh, but it's very scary the guy is performing, but I mean, you just never know when he could drop and he'd be done for the year. Yeah. And well, I, I say that like critically, but he's obviously been the most dominant player in the NBA this year, like bar none. And they really like projecting forward. They do beat the Atlanta Hawks and they're young. So it's like likely, and they seem to be like, uh, you know, have a very good control of the series. He's going to absolutely crucify the Brooklyn Nets. They're not going to do the whole thing where sometimes he gets the ball in the post like Giannis. They're going to go to him every time. So you want to be able to maximize that out of him. You have to you have to uh, save him from himself. That's probably the best way to do it. He was having a lot of fun up there. Even at the end of the game, if you really look, it looked like he was kind of laboring on that leg. And if you're coaching staff, like take him out with three minutes left in the game and put him in the locker room and start treatment. Like it needs to be that urgent for them. There doesn't seem to be any sense of urgency for the 76ers which is just so bizarre because it's the NBA playoffs. Like maybe it's Doc Rivers, maybe it's someone else. I don't know really know who to blame, but that was unacceptable to me. Spence, talk about Seth Curry for the Sixers, man. This yeah. guy, we've talked about him. What a key acquisition. He came up big tonight. This guy can win or lose you a series uh, based on how on he is because we talked about it on your podcast, Spence. We're in a league of scorers and shooters, and you've got to have guys that can make big shots. This guy's a big shot maker. Yeah, Seth Curry is, and I was just thinking now, thinking back about how disgusting the 76ers decision was. I forget the context, but they traded uh, Mikhail Bridges and traded back and got somebody who doesn't play on their team anymore. He was just this athletic wing, but that was kind of the whole idea of their team for a long time was the Jason Richardsons and all these other scoring, or not even scoring wings, these almost like just athletic wings, which just doesn't work in the NBA. So they say, okay, let's actually make a basketball team here. They got Danny Green, who's been up and down, but Seth Curry obviously has emerged. And that was a guy who was signing 10-day contracts. The only reason I remember that uh, is because the Grizzlies signed into a 10-day contract a long, long time ago. I don't remember what year it was. It must have been like 2015. Uh, but it's it's really nice. And I think, you know, he plays really hard for this team. And it's, it's a lot about confidence. You know, basketball, it feels like, is 40% confidence. There's so much, there's a little skill to it, obviously. I think only the skilled players are successful. But when someone, a team believes in you, and I think the Mavericks kind of laid that foundation for him. But when you get signed to a nice big contract for the first time, and that coaching staff says, you are important to this team, 
for some reason it just helps you uh, elevate your game and maybe it's something that runs in the family too but the lights just seem to shine brighter on the curry family and uh he's going to be more and more more and more important for the playoffs as it goes on because Ben Simmons obviously is not interested in scoring for this team anytime soon. That's the voice of Spencer Ostrowski. Follow him on Twitter at SpencerTheWiz. This is the rest stop Tuesday and Thursday, 9 to 10 o'clock Pacific time. I'm Brad Restituto. Make sure you watch us live every Tuesday and Thursday that we're on on Twitch. Uh, www.twitch.tv slash ChrisLandryFootball. Uh, the rest stop underneath there. Spence, some other exciting and newsworthy stories in sports over the weekend, Floyd Money Mayweather and Jake Paul, not Jake Paul, Logan Paul, the brother of Jake Paul, uh, in an enormous, uh, I wouldn't call it, I would call it mega exhibition, as you had the Migos, you had celebrities galore in attendance, and of course, on pay-per-view, it was number one trending on Twitter, an eight-round exhibition, no judges, uh, so you wouldn't get a score. It could end by knockout. There was a referee. Nobody was knocked out. Logan Paul went the distance. And a YouTube guy, what he's known for, but him and his brother have branched out, and I give them all the credit in the world to be standing in the ring with one of the greatest boxers ever, a billionaire, and Floyd Mayweather has uh, got to be surreal. And to last eight rounds, even though Floyd is on the other side of his 40s now, 44 years old, I believe. Uh, Logan, I believe, is in his early 20s. It, it wasn't an exciting fight at all. Paul held for most of the fight from the third round on, but he did last. He neither neither participant got knocked down. And look, it's a big cash cow payday. I, I saw something that Floyd posted. Uh, he is the best at legal bank robbery, and the guy just keeps making money. And I can't knock him for that, Spence, because he's ultra ultra wealthy, a billionaire, like I stated. And a fight that people were turned into, whether you're a boxing fan or not, Spence, my mom and stepdad are in their 60s and asking me how to watch the fight. They don't care about either of these two. Uh, but Floyd is like must-see TV, especially in these kind of gimmick exhibitions. And people just can't get enough of seeing him. I don't know what it is. Of course, I wanted to see what happened, but I can't believe how many other people wanted to see what happened too. Spence, I know you didn't watch it, but do you have any clips, any highlights, anything that we can play without getting copyrighted here? Yeah, here's a short clip of Mayweather clipping Logan Paul, so it's kind of worth watching, I guess. Nice, Spence. Very nice pulling that footage from the Logan Paul Floyd Mayweather boxing exhibition over the weekend. If it would have been scored, Floyd would have won. Like I said, Paul was – a, gall a gallon effort. I mean, the guy lasted the entire fight. That's something to be said for a guy that's not a pro boxer. It's like me. If I got in there and lasted eight rounds of Floyd, even if I held the whole time, it'd be something he'll never forget. He'll be able to tell his kids and grandkids. It's a hell of an accomplishment. Uh, I know some people wanted to see, see Floyd get knocked out. That wasn't going to happen. Even at 44, Floyd still moves very well, and he's a pro. He's a, he's a pro boxer. Um he, he just knows how to get hit, Spence. He's gotten hit with decent punches in his career, from Connor to Pacquiao, every fight. He's got hit. He's even got kind of jarred at times. But the guy has never really gotten – even the maybe one or two times he got buckled in his entire career, 50 fights, he recovered so quick, Spence. The guy is a pro's pro. I don't care what anybody wants to say about him personally. In my opinion, he's the best boxer ever. The guy's never touched the canvas in his entire career. He's never touched defeat. Uh, the guy's – 
amazing. He's absolutely outstanding. I give the guy all kinds of credit. He's a top-of-the-line businessman. He knows how to make money better than anybody. And they put on another show, Spence. People bought into it. People that I know don't even like sports are watching and streaming this thing. Uh, so what was your thoughts on hearing about the fight and the after uh, talks and discussions about it on social media, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, you know, Yahoo, everything that you've heard? What, what were your thoughts about the event? And do you know tons and plenty of people that also uh, decided to tune into this exhibition? Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of different sides. It is bringing a lot of eyes to boxing, which hasn't been done in quite some time. And, you know, I'm doing the sports podcast where I'm trying to find the, me and my dad are trying to find the greatest sportsman of all time. And we're on boxing now. We finished baseball. We're going on to boxing. And there's a lot, there's a t so many movies from the 40s and 50s that I'm going through right now. It used to be such a popular sport where it really mattered and really did Spence. You're right. And now it just doesn't. I mean, this, I guess you could say is like the new era of it mattering, but I mean, back in the day to fight the, one of the greatest boxers of all time was difficult. Like you, it was hard to get that matchup set up. And I know he's past his prime. I know Mayweather is, you know, past his prime and everything, but <laughs> come on. Like it's, it shouldn't be this easy for someone to have a match against somebody who's 50 and 0. So, but the other, I mean, it does, money is obviously part of it, but I think that's kind of been the problem. The main problem is that it's over commodified where it's only about money. Now it's not about the integrity of the game. Although boxing has had a really big integrity problem with like steroids and fixing matches. So I guess this, there's no doubt in my mind that this wasn't like fixed and that he wasn't paid not to knock him out. It felt legitimate from the highlights I saw. I don't know. I just don't think YouTube stars should be the face of boxing. It should be actually good boxers. But that's not Logan Paul's fault. That's not Mayweather's fault for this event. It's whoever runs boxing. I don't even know what the main boxing company is. Like that's the stark difference from UFC. When you want to watch, when you want to watch mixed martial arts, you watch the UFC event on Saturday. It's not this random mumbo jumbo of oh these guys are fighting. Like oh I think I know who that guy is and. Uh, what's his name? Also, kind of recognize that as well. I can't think of his name. He's the heavyweight champion. He like never loses. Uh, he Not Tyson dominated. Fury. Yeah, Tyson Fury is like I'm the one holding up the sport, and that may sound cocky, but he's right. He's kind of one of him and Canelo might be the only recognized boxers in the world. They have to do a better job of promoting these guys. They need to find a way to unify what boxing is, and maybe even just get a steady flow. These UFC guys are willing to fight every week, even though they should not. Boxing is like, oh, I'll get to it when I get to it. That's just not a very good business model. They need to like make personalities out of them because that's why people are drawn to this. Mayweather is obviously a huge personality, and Logan Paul is like the biggest personality known to man, and he knows how marketable that is. Well, Spence, so you may you may or may not know this, but here here's the big difference about making that happen, and. Okay, so you have the UFC, which is the, the biggest brand, right? So they're fighting under that umbrella, and they have a TV contract with ESPN. So that matches it up right here. The thing with boxing is is you got so many different uh, promoting ventures. you got Danzen, which is I think was or is affiliated with Oscar De La Hoya, which was with Canelo that moved on, uh, Bob Arum at Tom, Top Rank, uh, Mayweather Promotions. They're their own promotion entities. So these guys, some of them have TV contracts with HBO, with Showtime, with ESPN. So to get them uh, these mega fights from different promoters, if they're not in the same on the same network, uh, 
at least in the last few decades, that is obstacles that UFC and combat sports doesn't necessarily have to jump through when you're talking UFC. So it makes it so drawn out before we get these fights in front of us to watch. So when you talk about unification of different belts, you've got so many different promoters, issues, television contracts that prevent the fan base from seeing more fights frequently and then the best matchups possible. So because guys want certain cuts, promoters want certain cuts on their networks, and it's hard to meet. It's a big a big money grab that people can't seem to, to, to meet on, and it's unfortunate because I don't know where boxing goes the next 10 years. I think Floyd with Mayweather Promotions is going to continue to, to have young fighters come into the sport uh, under his wing, top rank. So we'll just have to wait and see how that goes. I don't know if boxing will ever give have the luster it had decades and decades ago. But Spence, before we move on, quickly share maybe a, a movie or two with you and your dad's documentaries, a boxing movie that has stood out to you at, at up to this point in your boxing watching because I'm fa- fascinated by it and I'm sure the sports fans that will watch or listen to this podcast uh, enjoy a good sports movie. So hit us with maybe one or two that you've liked up to this point and your journey with these documentaries in the boxing category. Yeah, so I'll tell you uh, the actual, the first episode will be filmed on Sunday. I should say filmed, not released. It's going to take me time to edit it. Uh, so baseball will be coming out within the month, I'll say. So I'll have that up so you guys can look it up on grabit.com. It's going to be exclusive on there, the podcast or the, I don't know, show, I guess you can call it. So G-R-A-B-E-T.com. We'll do baseball this month. Boxing will probably hopefully be next month. Uh, so what I started with boxing was movies that I love. Uh, I started with Rocky 1 and Rocky 2. I forgot how great of a movie Rocky 1 was. I knew I liked it. It was never a movie. I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'll like it the second time around. No, I love the movie. Rocky 2, I think, is actually a little better. But just the American story, it really embodies that. And that's why I think it makes it such a special movie. It's going to be very difficult, actually, to dethrone either of those two movies. It's one story, but they do count as separate movies. Uh, I don't know. It just kind of beckons back to an old style of movie making that I don't, maybe it doesn't even exist today where you're able to like breathe in a scene. It's not so many jump cuts. It's really just about living in the moment. And I've come to appreciate awkward moments in movies. There's a lot. There, there's a lot of them in the original Rocky where you just kind of staying there. You're like, oh, I don't know. Like, this is kind of weird, but that's what makes them special. It's what makes it such a, a good moment because life is awkward for the most part. It's not scripted and everything. So I thought they captured that pretty well. There was one other movie that I've watched so far, or two other ones. One of them with, I think his name is Daniel Day-Lewis. Now I'm just saying names out loud. It was about this uh, kind of uh, Scotland or Ireland. I'm, I'm all over the place. But it was about this conflict they had with the UK. So it was more of a look into that than the whole boxing part of it. That was a, a decent movie. That one wasn't so bad. One I really did like, uh, now I can't think of it either. It's with the guy. I hate that I know him from this. Um, Marky Mark. What's his name? Mark Wahlberg. He did a boxing movie, and it was based on a true story, and that was really, really great. That's a, a really nice one. And the only other one that I've seen so far to wrap this up was another movie where it was a girl boxer, and she ended up getting paralyzed. That that was a really uh, kind of That's not story. Million Dollar Baby, is it? Yeah, Million Dollar Baby. That's absolutely right. I can't remember the names of any of these, just the content of them. Uh, I have a few thoughts on that movie. I, I guess I'll probably save them for the podcast. I know it's kind of known as an amazing movie and there are a lot of great scenes, but I don't think it's based on a true story. So it's like unnecessarily sad. I think there's a lot of value in having sad movies, but 
to just make the end depressing when like you can kind of control what the narrative of it is is kind of bizarre to me i know not every movie has to end happy and i have plenty of great examples of that like outside of the whole sports genre of movies that i think do it really well so that'll probably be my one big controversial opinion is that i don't think that's the greatest movie of all time uh but it might make my top 10 list i have so many more to go through spence before we uh leave the boxing category another big name on the card of mayweather logan paul was chad ochocinco former star receiver of the Cincinnati Bengals, of the New England Patriots, Miami Dolphins, played at Oregon State, uh, considered one of the better receivers of his time. He made his boxing debut on the undercard. Do we have any footage from that, Spence? Yeah, we sure do. Uh, he got tagged and dropped once. It wasn't a knockout, but he did get a good shot to the jaw. I'll show it here. Ocho Cinco goes down. Look, up until that point, that was the last round. It was a four-round fight. Ocho Cinco did pretty well. I mean, he this guy that he fought was a, a combat sports professional. Um, Chad got caught with a nice punch there, got right up. I thought he performed pretty well. It, it was entertaining to watch. So Chad Ocho Cinco, if you want to watch more of that, that was on uh, Showtime pay-per-view. I'm sure, sure they'll have uh, some more replays of that card between Logan Paul, Floyd Mayweather, Chad Ochocinco on the other card. Uh, Badu Jack, former uh, – actually, he is current professional fighter, uh, had a win in that fight also. So nice little card there in uh, Hard Rock Stadium in Miami over the weekend. Uh, Spence, as we're wrapping up tonight's show, I want to hit the, the U.S. men's national team in soccer, the CONCACAF final over Mexico in extra time. The U.S. win for the first time ever – uh, that I know of, at least in the more recent decades in this tournament. Uh, really exciting game. The crowd was raucous, Spence. We talk about these fans that have been getting back into stadiums since the pandemic has kind of loosened up and we're allowing people in a bunch of areas. The U.S. get the win, but the crowds lost their damn minds in this game, injuring U.S. national players, Mexican players. Stuff went everywhere. What the hell was going on? The U.S. team, an excellent victory over Mexico last night. But, Spence, do we have some some footage of what happened? I mean, this was absolutely insanity at uh, – I believe Sports Authority Stadium in Denver is where the match took place. The CONCACAF final between U.S. and Mexico. The fans lost their damn minds. Yeah, so I actually, this video will recap kind of the entire game like very quickly, and then you'll see all the antics. So this is a really good recap of the just insanity of this game. First Mexico scores, uh, then the United States scores, uh, then Weston McKinney gets choked, and then there's a... Uh, anti-discrimination protocol step one break let's throw it to the guys in the studio and then we're in overtime uh this is not a yellow card uh penalty shout illegal touching of the referee during the review that's uh, you're out of here uh emphatically rule a penalty uh converts the penalty go over get it's a throwing incident, goes down for medical attention. They form a human wall to protect him. Another penalty shout shortly after for Mexico, a scuffle before the penalty, penalty save. And uh, there's one more incident with throwing. And I, yeah, that's it though. That's, that summed it up pretty well. Uh, I mean, what, 
what the hell are you to make of this? The the, the fans, I don't know how they got away with this. I mean, it, it wasn't just a few things thrown. It was uh, an avalanche of cups and sodas and beers and all kinds of uh, crap thrown at the players in this game. It's absolutely nuts. Yeah, so – because soccer is not big here, people kind of like don't know what's going on in soccer, but it's been going on for a very long time. Soccer fans are unhinged. People think the whole like popcorn thing and whatever, like throwing a water bottle is a big deal. Just pay attention to the news that goes on around the world behind around the sport, because there are fans who are super racist. Like they're known for that. There are fans that'll storm the field. There are fans that have been shot during games. I mean, there's a whole lineage of horrible, horrible things that happen in soccer, and we just don't know about it because they don't make the headlines here. It's it's so embarrassing. I mean, people just lose their mind over some stupid sports. I, I don't really get it, but soccer fans, more than any other sport, are the most passionate, and they're the most willing to do stupid, stupid stuff. Spence, as I'm watching here, about a minute left. It looks like the Utah Jazz have an opportunity to close the door. It's 112-106 as I'm watching here. Donovan Mitchell, uh, just a possession to go when they were up six, took Luke Kennard to the rack. He got no help defense and put them up eight. Uh, the Clippers got fortunate right now as I'm watching with little under 50 seconds left. Donovan Mitchell throws the ball out of bounds and unerring turnover, and the Clippers need to score quick here if they want an opportunity to, to get back with this. I imagine the timeout will probably be called here uh, as Mitchell turned it over. Um, yeah, we're in a timeout here. The Clippers are going to need to st- score quick down six with under a minute left. I think they can. Kawhi needs to go right to the bucket and then maybe play defense and hope for a stop there. So uh, it should come down to the wire, but with, with under a minute left, the Jazz up six. We've seen crazier things happen, but the Jazz are the number one overall seed in the Western Conference for a reason. There's no reason they should blow this six-point lead with under a minute left, but the Clippers will have possession. As the Clippers led for most of the first half, but a really big second half by the Jazz has pulled them ahead, and they look to have control of this game with under a minute left. We'll need some heroics uh, by Paul George, Kawhi Leonard with under a minute left. A big shot or a big bucket here with a stop after that. Uh, we'll see what happens. Maybe we'll get to it before we finish up the rest stop here tonight. Spence, I wanted to get to one more story over the weekend. Big news in the NFL. Julio Jones moves on from the Atlanta Falcons. He is now a Tennessee Titan. They pulled the trigger. They were the betting favorite here down the stretch, and they made it happen. Now you have Julio Jones partnered with A.J. Brown on the outside for Tennessee. Of course, you have Derrick Henry toting the rock for the Titans. Head coach Mike Vrabel, former Super Bowl champion with the New England Patriots, and quarterback Ryan Tannehill, who was certainly excelled as a Tennessee Titan. The Tennessee Titans, the favorite in the AFC North to win that division. How do you think Julio Jones fits in here, and is it a good, good acquisition? You don't have to give up a first-round pick. Tennessee Titans make it happen for a two and a four. How do you like this move for the Titans? Yeah, pretty interesting. The Falcons were, we want a first-round pick. That's all we want for Julio Jones. And it's, we want two second-round picks, and then it only turned out to be a second and a fourth-rounder. It's just hard to get value for veterans in the NFL for whatever reason. In uh, in the NBA, man, it, you can get anything you want for old guys, but there's just so many players in the NFL, and it's just not end up being worth it. And the great thing about football, which I actually really like, is you don't have to match salaries. I think that's a big problem in the NBA. I don't know like what would happen as a result, but you know, here everybody kind of benefits. The Falcons, like that kind of had played its course. They're able to take 17 million off of their books, like for nothing, which is great for them. Uh, and there's not like he was gonna do anything there. They got their replacement offensively. 
uh, for, at the tight end position who he's really more of a uh, receiver. I think he'll end up being anyways. So it'll be fine. They got Calvin Ridley and everything. And then the Titans, they get their chance. And if it doesn't work out, these are always the things for these trades. Like it doesn't really matter. I mean, it does matter if it works out, but it, I would say in retrospect, when you get your guy like this, it, it helps promote your team so much, especially if you don't overpay for them, which they didn't because now the onus is on all the teams that didn't do this. The Ravens once again, kind of cheap themselves because they don't want to pay somebody to get a nice wide receiver for Lamar Jackson. The Raiders are kind of highlighted. They're one of the big favorites to land him, not big favorites. They're in the top, I think three or four for most of this kind of whole lineage. And they look even more embarrassing because they weren't able to get it done because of the cap space. These kinds of trades just promote like how well your front offices ran because the Tennessee Titans were, I think, in the top half of the league in title odds. So by being able to add this without giving up literally anything like of tangible value, that's a great thing for them. They have a new offensive coordinator, so I think it'll take time. And interestingly enough, the Tennessee Titans odds for the series or not series for the division, for their win total for the season, their title odds. They changed a little bit, but not as much as you would think. So I think there's a lot of wait and see kind of when it comes to this trade. Spence, it is a final in Utah. The Jazz hang on 112-109. I'll kind of break down what happened as they came back from time timeout. The Clippers had possession with 59 seconds left. A jump shot went off back rim, tapped back out to Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard hands off to Paul George. Paul George pump fakes, buries a three from the wing. Uh, the Jazz come down, no timeout called, 37 seconds left. Donovan Mitchell has a pull-up from about 17 feet, really good look, bounced off back rim, rebound by the Clippers. They bring it down with about 13 seconds left, and then just amazing defense by the Jazz. Kawhi handed off to Leonard or to Paul George. Paul George back to Kawhi, just stifling defense. As guys had both their hands up. They couldn't get off a good shot. Kawhi kicked it to the wing to Morris, uh, Markeith Morris, or Marcus Morris, whatever one is for the Clippers. Morris was guarded by Gobert, took a pump fake, got Gobert in the air, stepped to the right, elevated for three, and Gobert was just too long. He recovered, blocked the shot, and now is the end of the game. And look how good Vegas is, Spencer the Wiz. I don't know what it closed at, but I know earlier in the day, the Jazz, three-and-a-half-point favorites. It may have closed at three. It lands on three. Jazz win by 220-and-a-half to total, 112-109-221 is what it ends on. Spencer the Wiz, absolutely incredible. Vegas hits right on the dot and probably wins uh, tons of coin as they put this number right exactly on the total. But the Jazz get game one in Utah. Donovan Mitchell went ballistic. But how about let's starting it off, Vegas having this game pegged absolutely perfectly as the Jazz closed at three, win by three, 220 and a half, and it closes at 221, the total on the number. Yeah, sometimes they just know. It's it's so hard, and who knows how they even make these numbers. It's, like, almost impossible to predict sometimes. I think there's, like, back-end ways, and sometimes you stumble upon it, but it's pretty hard, uh, and that's just part of basketball. I mean, so much of it just comes down to free throws, doesn't it? And when you look back, you're like, oh, if you just made this or that. And basketball is probably the most fun sport to, to bet for me because it can swing so drastically. That's also one of the worst parts about it, but – there's so many benefits, I think, to betting basketball over football, too, be, mostly because, I mean, I guess I have an advantage because I feel like I understand understand the game more, so I'm able to be successful at it. But I think consistency is key with basketball, and I think the lines in basketball are so just kind of like you understand them. You're able to, like, get to the reasoning of it. Maybe not the over-under so much, but 
uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes you have bad beats, and that's kind of what makes betting basketball even more exciting. All right, that's Spencer the Wiz. Spencer Ostrowski, follow him on Twitter. We'll be with you again on Thursday, 9 to 10 o'clock Pacific time. More NBA playoff action and some more sports talk topics to come. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel, Brad the Believer, and you like the uh, Twitter and Facebook at Brad the Believer. Landry Football Conference call on any of the podcasting platforms. And for Spence, for Brad, we'll be back. It's the rest up on Tuesday. Have a great night, everyone. We'll see you back here on Thursday, 9 o'clock Pacific time.